Morning. Hey, uh, as we get started this morning, I wanted to uh, update you and let you know that this uh, past Friday was a historic day for our church. We officially closed on the loan uh, for our building, uh, which is really exciting. Um, a, uh, a huge thank you to uh, Ben Rickers from our church, who uh, put just an endless amount of hours over the last five and a half years uh, into making this happen. So thank you to Ben. And uh, finally, we are hoping to break ground on our building sometime this month. Uh, how, how crazy is that? So uh, we are going to have a... Uh, sorry, I interrupted your applause. Uh, <laughs> We're going to have a, a groundbreaking ceremony out there on the land. That's a bit of a moving target right now. It depends a little bit on the weather and that sort of thing. But stay tuned. Kind of in the next week or two, we'll let you know when that'll be. Probably more likely to be at the uh, latter half of the month than at the beginning. So exciting times. All right. Uh, as a church right now, we are studying a book of the Bible called Luke. Uh, it's one of four books in the Bible that is about the life, death, resurrection, and the teachings of Jesus. I'd love for you to follow along as we study the Bible this morning. There is a Bible under every chair. I would just grab one. That way you can have it in front of you. So you can go, well, did that guy on stage just say that? Or is that actually in the Bible? Uh, pick one up, or you can use the Renovation Church app. I just have Bible in weekly verses. And you can see it there. Uh, we're going uh, We're going to be on page 847 uh, in those Bibles. Uh, we're just going through this book in order, kind of chapter by chapter, uh, verse by verse. And today we're on chapter 13, uh, starting at verse 22. So you want to look for like the little 22, and that'll be where we'll start from. So we're just going to keep going through this book. That's what we've been doing as a church. We spent about half of our year doing that. And so if you just want to learn more about what the Bible teaches, this is a, this is a great place for you. Today... As we're just progressing through the book, we've come to what is a pretty challenging passage in the Bible, especially, I think, for modern-day Americans. So I'm going to read it all the way through the passage for today, and then uh, we'll start talking through it. So this is uh, page 847, Luke chapter 13, and we'll start at verse 22. Here's what it says. It says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you. Or where you come from, away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Okay. So passage starts, somebody comes up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, how many people will be saved? That is, how many people will be saved from the consequences of their sin to be saved from hell? That's like a kind of a strong way to say it, right? Lots of times we don't even talk like that, but that's what they're asking. I don't want to lie to you and sort of soften it so it sounds nice. That's, that's what they're asking, Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't directly answer the man's question about how many or how few. Instead, he just has the people start applying the question to themselves. And then he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. For one, 
we see that there is one way to be saved, one door. He's not saying, okay, if you want to get to heaven someday, choose any door you like. He says there's one door. It's the narrow door. And we see elsewhere in, in the scriptures that Jesus is the door. So John chapter 10, for instance, elsewhere in the Bible, verse 9, it says this. Jesus is saying this. He says, I am the gate, the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You know, one of the things that the Bible makes clear over and over again, and I, again, this is hard for us as modern people, but it says often that there is one door and one person that we can be saved through, and it's Jesus. Let me give you another example of this. This is from uh, the book of Acts in the Bible, chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And Jesus... But I think this is hard. It feels, you know, you're, you're living as a, 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 an intellectual person in America in the year 2020, and it feels almost intellectually arrogant, doesn't it? To say, like, my religion, the thing that I do is the right way, and all of these other religions or ways are, are wrong. Like, as Americans nowadays, we feel more comfortable saying, no, you know what, they're all, they're all right in their own way. The average person wants to agree with that, but you know who doesn't agree with that? All of the people that are actually a part of those different world religions. Like, for, guess what? Muslims think that they are the only way to God. Buddhists think that they have the only path that we should follow, and on and on for each religion. But as many Americans believe, especially if we're sort of indifferent to spirituality or religions, many Americans would say, no, 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 that's not right. All the religions sort of have different doors, but each door leads to the same place. They all lead to God. They all lead to heaven. I often hear this explained by the analogy of the blind men and the elephant. Are you familiar with this? Here's the analogy. Three blind men come upon an elephant, and the first blind man, he grabs the trunk. He says, this creature, it's it's flexible, and it's, it has this long thing on it. it, it it's, it's, it's a snake. Then the, the second blind man goes over and, and grabs a big leg of the elephant and says, Oh, this, this is not a creature at all. It's a, it's a tree. This is a tree trunk. And then the third blind man walks over and feels the side of the elephant and goes, No, you're right. This is not a creature, but it's actually a wall. And the analogy is supposed to teach us how each religion of the world is kind of like one of the blind men. It has a grasp on part of the spiritual truth, but not all of it. But for a religion to claim that it has the full knowledge of God is arrogant. So we hear that analogy, and I think as Americans, we resonate with that. We're like, yeah, you know what? That feels right to me. That just that feels right. It just feels wrong to say, no, this is the truth. And we hear a lot of examples like that in our world. But before you just accept that, I want you to just take a step back and I want you to put your thinking cap on. Because that appears like a really humble analogy, but it's actually quite arrogant. Okay, and here's why. The person who's giving the analogy, the person who's saying all religions are partially true, is saying to all the different religions, they're saying, none of you has the whole truth. In fact, you are just blind men. But I, as sort of the irreligious kind of 
non-religious person, I have such a vantage point of the whole truth of all of reality that only I can see things as they really are. And they're therefore claiming that they have the one truth that none of the religious experts have, that they know who God really is. Well, that's the same sort of exclusivity that all the religions get accused of having. So I just want you to reason with me. This is a thinking person's church. You know what? It is actually intellectually irresponsible to believe that all religions lead to the same place. I'll just tell you, if they do, that is not a God worth following. The world religions contradict each other so intensely that if that is God's version of trying to speak to us, then I don't want to listen to him. I would tell you that logic and reason will tell you that there are only really two sort of logic, rational answers here if you want to be a logical thinking person. Option one is this, that one of the religions is right and the rest of them are imitations or they're false. But one of them is God expressing his truth to humanity. And the other rational option, logical option, would be that all of them are wrong. Now, I prefer the first option, obviously, right? But there's at least some rational thinking that you can trace to say, okay, one is right or all of them are wrong. But the idea that they are all right is actually intellectually irresponsible. And so knowing that, having sort of gotten that out of the way, let's look again at Jesus' claim that he is the one right way. He says it this way in uh, John chapter 14 in the Bible. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to God except through me. Or in our passage today, in Luke 13, he says that he is the narrow door through which we must enter if we want to be saved. Now listen, if you think about a narrow door, a narrow door is not something that you can just aimlessly drift through. Like, if you can imagine a narrow door, that's something that you have to purposefully, intentionally trying to get into. You might even have to kind of turn sideways a little bit to get into it, maybe even duck down a little bit. That's, that's what he's talking about. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And yeah, I think a lot of Americans are just sort of drifting through their spiritual life. It's like, sure, maybe you, maybe you grew up in a church or you kind of you know about God. You come to church every once in a while. But you're not, as Jesus says in this passage, you're not making every effort to make sure that you're going through the right door. Like if we were to map out your spiritual life on paper, it probably looks a bit more like a feather just being blown around in the wind. And that feather is more likely to just hit a wall at the end of its life than it is to enter through this very narrow door. And then Jesus, he, in this passage, he begins to sort of elaborate on this sort of casual spiritual life. This is verse 26, if you still have it in front of you. And he says, eventually the door will shut. And what that means is eventually all of us, our lives will end, right? Uh, whether if that's today or tomorrow or when you're 85 years old, that we don't know. And he says, as soon as your life ends, so does the chance to decide whether or not you will enter through Jesus's door. You can only decide while you're on earth. And if you haven't entered through the narrow door of following Jesus on earth, then you'll be on the outside, he says. 
says you won't be at the feast in the kingdom of God. You won't be in heaven. And he's, it, worse yet, he says, when you see heaven, when you see God, you will then say, no, no, sir, sir, open the door. Now, again, let me say, this is a tough passage, right? It's just some intensity to it. But these are the words of Jesus Christ, right? These are the same This is the same guy that Americans love so much, right, when we're talking about uh, grace and love that Jesus teaches and Jesus' teachings on forgiveness and and hope and peace. We love those things, right? This is the same guy. And so we have to take even these harder, intense teachings just as seriously. Because the same Jesus is saying that some of you are going to be shocked on that day when you find out you're not going to heaven. And this makes sense, right? When you go out and you just talk to regular people on the street or you talk to your friends or coworkers, I suppose you don't probably ask a lot of random people on the street this question. And you say, hey, do you think you're going to heaven? Almost everybody, unless they're an atheist, right? They say, oh, yes, I believe we're going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. And Jesus says, some people are going to be surprised. And then he says in the passage, he says, they're going to say, but, but, no, 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 wait, hold on a second. Uh, but I ate with you and I drank with you. And I heard your teachings. You know, people will say, but no, 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 I took communion with you. I ate and I drank. And I I heard about your teachings in, in church. I was in church as a kid. I learned the Ten Commandments. I got confirmed. I was baptized as a baby. And to many, Jesus will still say, this is verse 27. He'll still say, I don't know you. Of course, Jesus knows who you are. He's saying that you don't know each other. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. And that is what will save you. The Bible teaches that we are saved when we become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of him, personally. When we believe that he died on the cross in our place and we let him pay the punishment for our sins and we become a follower of him, then we are safe. But that's to be in a relationship with him where you just, you know, you know his love for you, that he's just so in love with you and you know his forgiveness for you. And if you don't know Jesus like that, then there's a chance that you've actually never walked through his narrow door. And then, as if this passage that we've gotten to in our march through the book of Luke isn't intense enough, then Jesus gives us a warning, okay? And I'm going to read this verse, even though I tell you most people will skip over this verse. Uh, But again, I, I feel like Jesus himself said this, so wouldn't we be foolish and arrogant to skip over it? Like when we die and we meet Jesus someday, he's not going to say to us, oh, good, good, I'm glad you guys skipped over that one. Actually, I didn't want you to read that one, right? So we, we got to look at all of his teachings. One of the things that we're committed to as a church is to study the whole Bible. Uh, even the parts of us, the parts of the Bible that would make us uncomfortable. I want to tell you something. If, if we felt comfortable with everything that God said, then we wouldn't actually be worshiping God, but just a God that we made up. So in talking about being left outside of the door, Jesus says this. Now, this is verse 28, if you have it in front of you. He says, There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves 
thrown out. He says, okay, if you, if, if you don't make it in and you're not saved, so we'll begin to we- you'll begin to weep. You'll begin to gnash your teeth. It's not a word we use a lot, but it means to like strike your teeth together, to grind, that you're in such anguish that you would gnash your teeth. I, I, I've often felt in my own life that there is no stronger emotion than the emotion of regret. Especially to know you should have done something, but you didn't. To know that you should have married a certain person, but you broke up with them, and now they're married to someone else. To know that you should have taken a certain job, but you hesitated, and now someone else has that job. To know you should have forgiven your mother, but now she's gone, and it's too late. Regret is this extremely painful emotion. And Jesus is warning you that you don't want to spend eternity regretting down his incredible offer to save you. Uh, I want you to think of it this way. I want you to imagine for a second that you are trapped in this really large, dimly lit room. And there are no windows in the entire room. And you kind of begin looking around the room and you notice there's just one door in the whole room. And so eventually you walk over to the door and there's writing on it. And you read the writing on the door and it just says, enter through my narrow door and you will be saved, Jesus. And you think to yourself, I don't need help from Jesus to get out. I can do this myself. And you think to yourself, besides, if I walk through that door and I sort of accept Jesus's way of saving me, then I'm going to have to sort of surrender my life to him. And I don't want to turn over my life to God. And so you begin to sort of walk around the room and you think there's got to be another way out of here. You know, you start hitting the wall and, you know, maybe you can punch your way through it and that's ah, not going to work. And now you're looking up at the, at the drop ceiling and you're going, oh, maybe I could, maybe there's so, some vent up there and I could crawl through the vents like they do in the movies, right? And you try that and that doesn't work. And you start looking at the floor, you're like, I could tunnel out. Shawshank Redemption or something. Like, I could, I could get out of here, right? I think you went through the wall first, but you get the idea. After two days of trying, no food, no water, you still can't save yourself. And you're just staring at that door, and it still says, enter through my narrow door, and you will be saved. Jesus. Listen, I don't want you to miss how good of news this is. Because sometimes we hear this and think, oh, this sounds intense, this sounds tough. No, no, no. This is incredible news. You don't have to earn your salvation. Okay, it's not like Jesus is saying to the world, okay, you all are in this room of life, and as soon as you make up for all your bad deeds, and you do enough good deeds, and you come to church enough, and you pray enough, then once you've sort of tipped the scales, a door will appear and finally you can be saved and get to heaven. No, no, no. He's saying the door is already there. It's there right now. No matter what you've done, no matter how messy your life has been, no matter how much you've ignored God your whole life, no matter if you haven't been to church in 15 years, the door is there right now. Because that's how much he loves you. You just have to walk through it. You just have to believe in faith that he died in your place because he loves you that much. Commit to follow him. But here's the thing. To do that, one of the things that I've learned is to do that, it actually takes 
an immense amount of humility. I don't know if we recognize this as, as Americans. It takes a ton of humility to stop saying, you know what, God, I got this figured out. Like, I know I'm eventually going to get to heaven. I kind of know I'm going to be good enough. There's some other doors. I know how life works. I'm sure you don't really know. I know. It takes humility to just say, I don't know. Some of you are going to leave this room today, and you're going to say, yeah, I know that guy was just teaching from the Bible, but I'm sure that I'm fine. It takes humility to say, God, I'm going to trust in your way, not in mine. In the Bible, in this very passage, Jesus is speaking this particular message to a group of people, religious people, that thought that they were fine and that they would be saved. And you want to know why they thought they were going to be saved? It's because they thought they were good people. They thought, oh, man, we, uh, we obey the Ten Commandments. We're really good people. But you cannot get to heaven simply by being a good person because no one will have paid for your sin. That's why we need to believe in Jesus and follow him because he paid for our sin on the cross. See, if you believe I will get to heaven simply because I'm a good enough person, I didn't murder anybody, I didn't, ironically, it will be your pride that will keep you out of heaven. This is actually what the very last two verses of our passage are all about. So let me read them again. This is 29 and 30. Jesus says, People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. This is sort of the vision of the great banquet of heaven. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. This would have been so shocking to the people that Jesus was talking to. Jesus is saying, all right, guys, you, you, you really religious people that I'm talking to, people from all over the world are going to enter through that narrow door, but all of you religious people are actually going to be thrown out. You're not going to make it. And they're going to go, why? Because they thought, that, no, no, I just have to be good enough, and then a door appears. They thought, okay, I'm really religious. I attend all these religious services. They're going, we obey the rules. We don't get divorced like those other people. Uh, we give our money to God. We are sexually pure. We obey the Sabbath. They have all these rules that they've checked off to show that they're better than everyone else. And now they're saying, okay, Jesus, let me get this straight. You're saying that all these sinful people around us, they kind of made a mess of their lives. That many of them, those people, kind of messed up. They're going to be saved and we're not. And Jesus is going, yep. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in the very last verse. He says, the last will be first and the first will be last. It's this. Those people in life that think that they're first... The people who think that they're going to heaven because they've been so good and kind of look down at everyone else and say, oh, I've got a pretty successful life. I've got a nice house in the suburbs. i got a good job. I haven't kind of made a mess in my life. I go to church once in a while. I whatever. They've got a whole list of why they are towards the beginning of the line. Jesus is saying those are the very people who will be shut out. They'll be last. Because they never really knew Jesus. He's going to say, I don't know you. They never had a relationship with him. They never said to Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in you that you died in my place. They're going, I think I got this on my own. But the rest of you, 
the ones that the world considers last, those of you that can humbly accept that your life has been full of a lot of sin, those of you that can accept that God doesn't owe you anything except his justice, those of you that are humble enough to realize that you cannot save yourself, you'll be the ones that will accept Jesus' rescue and you'll walk through the door. Even if the world says, no, that way is really narrow, there's so many other ways, you'll go, no, 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 I am humble and I'm going to trust in something bigger than me. Right? Even if you've got to stoop down to lower your pride to get in that door, you will. Jesus says it this way in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, says this, and he, Jesus, said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is if you want to be saved, you have to let go of your pride. Like a child, you have to look up to God saying, you know what, I'm going to stop trusting in myself. I'm going to trust in someone bigger than me, and I'm going to let them save me. And Jesus can save you right now. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he just, his love for you is that much. You see this in the most famous verse of all of the Bible, John three sixteen. Even if you've heard this before, just look at it with fresh eyes. Jesus says, for God so loved the world, that's you, he loves you, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, it doesn't say you've got to be good enough, whoever believes in him shall not perish, they won't go to hell but will have eternal life in heaven. Whoever believes that he died on the cross for them and says, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, that, you know what that is? That's entering through the door. It's letting him save you. And you can start a relationship where you'll actually know God. You have a heavenly father who just loves you so much. He loves you so much that he's already begun to initiate this relationship with you. I mean, think about this. He already came down to earth and died this painful death on the cross because he's trying to die in your place. And and by doing that, he put a door in place for you. All you need to do is just walk through it. Say, I believe. I will follow. And he will save you. And he will transform your life. There's so many people in this church that have done that, even in the last couple of years, even in the last few months. And it's just radically changed their life. And so today, if you're here, and you feel like God is maybe speaking to you, saying, you need to do this. Like, you need to be saved. You need to let me come in your life and start letting my love into your life. Let me teach you and guide you and help you. If you need to just surrender your life to him, I, I would just say to you, do it today. So, what we're going to do is, I'm going to pray in just a second here, and then our band is going to come up, and we're just going to have one final song. And here's what I want you to do. If at any time during this last final song, you're going, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to walk through that door. What I want you to do is sort of a symbol of your faith. I want you to literally walk through that narrow door right there, right there. And I will be on the hallway all during this last song. And if you come out, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll give you resources for what does it mean to follow Jesus. Whether there's two of you or 15 of you that walk out, I, w- I will be there. And that's just a way for you to sort of draw the line in the sand in your life to say, no, I'm going to stop trusting in myself that I'll just find my own way. I believe that you love me so much and that you died for me 
I want to be saved. I want to become your follower. And he will save you. It's that amazing. And it will change your life. So at any time during that last song, if you want to do that, I encourage you to just walk out the narrow door. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. I pray for the the many people that are sitting here right now, if you are working on their hearts, that they would just humbly respond to you. I know it's hard to get up and walk out. We just believe, God, that you will just change their lives, and we ask that you do that this morning. Thank you that you look upon all of our lives, our past, our present, and your future, and you see the millions of times that we have messed up and made a mess of our lives, and yet you still love us. You still died in our place, even though we're a mess. God, what love you have for us. We are just so thankful that you love people like us. In your name we pray. Amen.